Why don't you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians most of this morning as we talk in courageous leadership about dealing with difficulties and divisions. One of the things I find when I'm uh, speaking to pastors, whether it's at Refresh or at some other pastor's conference or a state convention, is the number one thing that comes up in the conversation is how do you get through tough times? How do you deal with difficulty? How do you deal with division? And I am not the poster child, nor have I written a doctrinal thesis on that, but uh, I, I think too often we run uh, when there are problems. We get scared when there are problems rather than facing the adversity and the trials that come our way. Uh, I said to our staff this week on Wednesday, God never opens a Red Sea for you to go backwards. God only opens a Red Sea to go forward. And the opening of the Red Sea was with difficulty and opposition behind them. But the freedom and the victory was in front of them. Now, there were still battles to fight. But sometimes we want God to open the Red Sea so we can run and hide. And so when, when I get asked, how, how does Sherwood do this? Or why did Sherwood do that? Or what does Sherwood do when this happens? I'll give them three basic reasons. Number one, a commitment to prayer. The, the way that we have dealt with difficulties and opposition and hard times is a first and foremost a commitment to prayer. If you don't have a praying church, you're not going to survive. And the reason that churches are dying and decaying and they're not baptizing people is because they're not praying. A prayer environment will put a church in the mentality that God has. You can't talk to God and God not talk to you about what's on his heart. Prayer is not a one-sided conversation where you tell God how you want it to be. Prayer is where God speaks to you and says, this is what my church is supposed to be. This is how my people are supposed to act. And you shape up in prayer more than you do anywhere else. Secondly is unity. Is unity. Now, you'll never have unity if you don't have prayer. Uh, you won't have it. You, you can have uniformity. I mean, you can tie two cat's tails together and throw them over a clothesline, and they'll be tied together, but they're not united. What, I'm talking about unity. I'm talking about the fact that there's only one agenda that matters, and that is the agenda of fulfilling the Great Commission and being a Great Commandment church, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as our self. And then the mission. The mission. Well, our mission is Sherwood Baptist Church was established to touch the whole world with the whole word, motivated by a passion for Christ and compassion for all people. But if you want to know what our purpose is in this community, it is whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. And I want to see us reach the next generation. Too many churches are dying because they become committed to just senior adults or baby boomers or millennials or some age group or some demographic. And they forget that the mission is not defined by the culture. The mission impacts the culture. 
The mission of a church is not defined by the pulse of what's going on in any city or any region or any country. The mission of the church is to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to baptize and to make disciples and believers. And unity is essential to the body of Christ. It is the authenticity that the world is looking for in a church. I can tell you this. You can go to Pearly's. You can go to Waffle House, you can go to McDonald's, and if you walk around and ask questions, the people in those places that don't ever darken the doors of a church can tell you the churches that are fussing and fighting. Now, there ought to be one place in this town where nobody ever says that church fusses and fights. It ought to be here. I mean, we ought to have enough love for Jesus and enough love for the Word of God that whatever it is that gets under our skin at any point in our life is not as important as being salt and light in this community. And let us never, ever be the subject of conversation in a negative way about anything they see or hear from us. Let us be a witness. Now, some of you are not amening because you like to sit at those tables and talk to those guys. I asked Layman Strauss one time, I said, Layman, how did did you deal with issues in a church when people fought you? He said, oh, dear brother. He said, I prayed for funerals. (laughs) And he said, God graciously answered many of my prayers. (laughs) You see, if the church behaves like the world, the church cannot expect the world to respect us. How can the world believe the claims of Christ if they do not see the body of Christ living in oneness? And to maintain unity, sometimes a leader has to exercise discipline and wisdom. That's true whether you own a business or you're on a faculty or wherever you are, wherever you serve, whatever you do, there has to be somebody who helps to maintain discipline and unity. And a casual look at Paul's letters, you would think that guy was about as abrasive as sandpaper. But Paul was not abrasive for the purpose of being abrasive. Paul was at times abrasive because what mattered to him was the reputation of God in this world through his church. You'll see a quote coming up. Leaders who consistently avoid tough talk on issues that are critical to the community's vision, values, and cohesion are leaders in name only. Now, if all we're doing is talking about the things we want to talk about and don't talk about the things we don't want to talk about because the things we don't want to talk about make us a little uncomfortable because we may have to change, move, understand, or listen. If that's where we are, then we're not leaders. 1 Corinthians 9 was one of the rare times when Paul defended his apostleship. You do not see Paul handing out his resume everywhere he went. You don't see Paul defending his apostleship. Paul just went in and said, I'm here, I'm preaching the gospel, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to establish a church, and we're going to reach the known world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was willing to do whatever he had to do to make that happen. Paul never walked away out of fear. Never. So first of all, there's the courage to confront. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.10, the courage to confront. Now, just remember when you read this, 
And you've got friends in churches that like to fight and fuss, and they're more interested in business meeting than prayer meeting. Just remember when you read this, point this out, that this is God's infallible, inerrant word without any mixture of error, and there's not a word in it that God didn't mean for it to be there. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, right now, in light of who Christ is, in light of what Christ has done, I exhort you, I beseech you. Here's what Paul was asking for. He was asking for harmony in two areas, doctrinally and relationally. He was calling the church to be doctrinally sound. Now, Corinth had all the gifts, but they're the most carnal place. I wouldn't want to even visit Corinth. It was such a mess. I mean, they were allowing immorality and ungodliness. They were, they were arguing and debating and fussing and fighting. But if you went to Corinth, they'd have had somebody at the front door saying, you know, we exercise all the spiritual gifts here, including being of the devil. <laughs> Paul had more trouble with Corinth than he had with anybody. When we say we want to be a New Testament church, let's make sure which one we're talking about. I don't want us to be like Corinth. Doctrinally, we need to be of one mind about Christ, about the essentials of the faith, and relationally, that we forgive one another, that we love one another, that we show grace to one another. Leaders must be fearless in addressing anything or anyone that can cause divisions. Again, I'm not talking about uniformity, but about unity, and the unity is around a kingdom agenda. Now look at John 17 from the message. John 17, the goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind. This is Jesus praying for his disciples. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us, then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. In other words, what Jesus said, and this is why America is the fifth largest mission field in the world and why American churches are dying, why the church all across the world is growing. This is why the world of America does not believe that the Father sent the Son because the Son's church is so stinking messed up. And you got people with more opinions and less convictions about who God is. Jesus said, I'm praying. You know what Jesus is praying for you right now? That you would get over yourself, I'd get over myself, and the only self we would be concerned about is that which honors Jesus Christ. So that the world will see that it's not Mohammed and it's not Joseph Smith and it's not a denomination that the world will see in us that the Father must have sent the Son because only Jesus could change people to be like that. Amen. Philippians 1.27, Meanwhile, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Let nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come or not. In other words, don't just behave if the preacher's there. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up and see things for myself or hear it from a distance. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust 
in the message, the good news. So what Paul is saying to them is when we stand united, when we have a singular vision, then we can contend for the gospel in a lost world because they'll see us on one page thinking about the same thing, loving the same thing, wanting the same thing. This does not mean that we won't all have opinions about stuff. It means that our opinions don't matter in light of the gospel. You know, I mean, the way people divide up churches is about as dumb as dirt. It would be like in Albany, Georgia. Okay, now, you know, so we can all get along. All the Georgia people are going to have to come to church at a certain time. And the Auburn people are going to have to come at another time. And the Alabama people are going to have to come at another time. And the Georgia Tech people are going to have to come at another time because God is not big enough to get us over our alma mater that charged us an arm and a leg to sit in a class with a professor that didn't care about us. Or a school I didn't even go to. But I buy the t-shirts. Hey, can I tell you something? Uh, listen, I've watched this all my life. The last 28 years, I can tell you, I don't even have to look at the college scoreboard. I can tell you who won and lost on Sunday. When Georgia and Auburn play, when Auburn and Alabama play, when Georgia and Georgia Tech play, when Florida and Florida State play, I can tell by behavior on Sunday, your God ought to be bigger than that. Amen. That happened on Saturday. This is the Lord's Day. We're worshiping Him. Get over your team. They're not going to get you to the cross of Christ. They're not going to get you into heaven. And if you die, they'll sell your seat to somebody else. So just get over it and worship. And be who God made you to be. We're to have a renewed mind to reach the community. Ah. <clears throat> now, for those of you that have been here a while, you've heard this. For those of you that are not, you're about to hear it for the first time. Some of you are going to hear it for a second, third time. I'm going to say it until you can repeat it. I came in 1989, and we were a lily-white Southern Baptist church full of legalism. Women couldn't wear pants. Every man wore a suit and tie on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and a lot of them wore suits and ties on Wednesday night. I mean, if, if a woman showed up in pants, she was sent away. And I said early on, I said, if a woman shows up on Tuesday in a bikini with her tithe, she's coming in the church. I'm just... <laughs> hey, we, we accept gifts from all people. <laughs> so things had to change and began to change. Now, we didn't change the word. The word is still the word. The word is still inerrant and infallible, but we don't add to the word. We started to change styles of worship, but the truth of the music is still the same. We look at the words of the songs we sing to see if they're truthful. I mean, there are songs in the hymnal. When, when we quit using hymnals, oh, my soul, we had people that thought we had torn out the book of Revelation. And, <laughs> you know, and there, there's this, I mean, they were hymns in the hymnal that first of all some of them had lousy theology and and secondly no church ever sings more than about 50 of the 600 hymns in a hymnal they sing the same ones over and over again and if and i want to tell you you want to take a traditional church and make them mad sing a new hymn 
Well, we're still in the hymnal, but we're going to do 185. Oh, God of earth and outer space. <laughs> and people are just flooding the aisles. You know, oh, God of earth and outer place. I mean, good grief. So we began to make changes. When I came here, we had one man who had married a woman from Vietnam when he was serving in Vietnam, and we had one African-American couple. And we looked a lot more like Double Gate Country Club than we looked like a church. To our shame. Today, we have people from 20 nations. 2015, 2016, 60% of our additions to this church have been non-Caucasian. Now, some of you may be uncomfortable with that. Let me just tell you, if you can't get over it here, you are not going to like heaven when you get there. You just... You're going to have a hard time in heaven. And I'm going to tell you something. If, you, if a church doesn't start looking like heaven, it's not a church. It's a religious institution of people who gather around their preconceived ideas about who God is. And guess what? God's not white. And he's not black. And he's not Chinese. He's not anything. He is God. And when he came, he came as a Jew the most hated people on the earth. Listen, you owe your salvation. If you're white, look at me. You owe your salvation to somebody who doesn't look like you. If you're black, look at me. You owe your salvation to somebody who doesn't look like you. If you're Asian, you owe your salvation to somebody that doesn't look like you. God came in the form of a man, and he came among the most despised people in the world. Now, if God says that's the way I'm going to reach the world, then who are we to say we wouldn't embrace and welcome anybody and everybody? Paul bragged on the Philippians, but he had to put the paddle to the Corinthians. Philippians 2.1, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything in you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Paul says that there should be no divisions, no rending of the garments, no renting, no schisms, that we should be made complete or joined together. That is a mending of the fishing nets. If we want to catch fish, if we want to be fishers of men, we have to make sure that our nets are always mended so that we can reach the people that God's called us to reach. My first church as a youth pastor, I, I buried my pastor uh, last week who died at age 70 suddenly in the arms of his son. And uh, he called me to our first full-time church. And I mean, God moved. I mean, God moved. We had like 36 students saved in one week. But we had a deacon body that was as full of the devil 
I mean, most of them would have qualified as some characteristic of the Antichrist. One of them tried to punch me out after I preached one Sunday. One of them tried to call me out to fight him in the front yard. Now, these are men elected by a church that are supposed to be full of faith, wisdom, and the Holy Spirit. They were just full of the devil, and we can just stop with that. Mean monthly business meetings that went three and four hours. And I was having a youth service, and we were having a great time. Well, the deacons decided that the youth pastor shouldn't be having a separate youth service. He should have these young people over here talking about the business of the church. So, under orders, I took about 100 young people into a business meeting and sat them in the balcony because I didn't want them to sit on the floor and catch anything. (laughs) And that business meeting was so ugly That night was the last night I saw 35 kids in that church. They never came back. They walked out saying to me, if this is what Jesus is like, we don't want any part of it. And there was no way I could talk them into coming back. And you know why? It's because of people my age that acted like jerks. And I vowed to God as a young youth minister, I will never let a church act like that because souls are at stake and your opinion and my opinion don't matter a lick what matters is nurturing and developing young believers into mature disciples who can nurture and develop other young believers it's not about what I want it's not about what you want if that's what you think the church is then go join the rotary club They'll probably pray at the beginning of it. But if you want to be a student of the Word of God, then you have to understand there is a cancer in divisions. 1 Corinthians 1.11, Paul writes to the church and says, For I have been informed concerning you. By the way, it always gets to the ears of the leader who's talking. I'll say that again. It always gets to the ears of the leader who's talking. I can go through 28 years and I can name the people who were bad-mouthing me because somebody feels compelled to always tell me. You know, so-and-so was talking to me the other day. They don't really like what you're doing. Really? Who is that? Well, I don't want to say. Then I'm not going to listen to it. Well, it was (laughs) so-and-so. For I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. And now I mean this, that each of you who is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I of Cephas, I of Christ, has Christ been divided? Paul has, was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, here's Paul is in Ephesus. And the word of the divisions in the church in Corinth have reached miles away in Ephesus. Now, if it was in Ephesus that they knew about the trouble in Corinth. Think about the talk on the street in Corinth. I mean, everybody knew. Everybody knew what was going on. Now, let me just step in here for a minute. Give you a little history. Pulpit committee of this church contacted me multiple times for over a course of about nine months. I told them no three times. Uh, We had dealt with stuff when I was in Oklahoma. We had gotten the deacon situation straightened out. 
and uh, God had blessed me with a few funerals, and so uh, I felt like I was still there. I was supposed to still be there, and, and Sherwood kept contacting me, and a lot of things happened in the month of August before I came uh, in November in view of a call, but in, in August, God released me from there. And so I came, and I had a meeting, and I wanted to have a reception before anybody heard me preach. I wanted to decide if they liked me, not because I preached a good sermon, but because I, I seemed to be okay to talk to. So, I mean, I'm here, and I'm having some meetings, and I start having deacons saying to me, he said, I tell you what, boy, man, last pastor boy, we had some toe-to-toes. I'm telling you, there's one deacons meeting where we had to separate the chairman of the deacons from the pastor because they're about to get in a fist fight in deacons meeting. And they had this thing called the deacon digest, which should be regurgitated once in your life. It's like 27 pages of every check that had ever been written, every report from 60 committees and everything else. And so I just told the chairman of the committee, I said, I'm not coming. I'll preach tomorrow, but I'm not coming in view of a call. I am not moving my family to Albany, Georgia to fight a bunch of carnal people. And he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I'll do the reception. I'll preach in the morning. Do not vote. I'm going home. He said, wait, wait, wait. We can't do that. He made one phone call. He called Dove Flowers. And Dove Flower says, if he's God's man, then whatever he says we need to change, we'll change. Dove Flowers was the deacon chairman for one month of my ministry here, and then he passed it on to Ron Dormany. Ron Dormany holds the distinction of being deacon chairman of this church more times than any other man that has ever served as deacon chairman in this church. And those two men helped me change the deacon environment from the very first meeting. And now we pray and we talk and we share and we look and we agree and there's no fighting and there's no fussing and there's no arguing in deacon's meeting. I don't dread going to deacon's meeting. Because I love the men that serve as deacons in this church because they, they care about what's happening in the life of this church. They want to know how to pray for what's happening in the life of this church. The whole culture changed because two men who are leaders said, we're not going to be that kind of deacon body anymore. It just takes somebody that's got guts. Amen. Then we had business meetings. Well, there was one guy in business meetings that every, he wanted to take the Constitution and bylaws apart sentence by sentence. And the running joke on him was that he would go into a business meeting and say, uh, Mr. Mr. Moderator, I think that the should be a the. I mean, it was nonsense. Haggling on the floor. So my first business meeting, December, I mean, I'm not even out of all my boxes I said, this is the way business meetings are going to go in this church. Robert's rules of order is not the way we do business. We do business according to the authority of the Word of God. There is no book, no rule that takes precedent over the Word of God in a business meeting. 
We will not attack personalities. There were people in business meetings that would talk trash about somebody else in the room. We're not going to attack personalities. And if you can't follow that as the shepherd of this church, I will dismiss business meeting. Y'all can go out in the parking lot and fight all you want to. But those who want this to be a church, I will call to the altar for prayer and we will pray for God's spirit to move in this church. We've never had a bad business meeting in 28 years. Now, you think the devil doesn't want us to have one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there may be even one or two people in here that if you thought if you got the chance, you would cause a turmoil. Can I tell you something? That spirit is not welcomed in this place. That is not well received because it's not the spirit of Christ. It's not the spirit of Christ. And somebody has to stand up and make those kind of decisions. And I tell pastors all the time, the number one problem that the pastors in America have today is the fear of man. They fear the pulpit committee that called them. They fear the deacon body. They fear being fired. They live in fear instead of walking by faith and living by faith. Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not to our Lord Christ, but to their own appetite. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So look, look, look back at 1 Corinthians. Look at this group. You, you, you got people dividing over personalities. That's crazy. So you got the pals of Paul. You know, we like Paul, man. He's deep. Paul is deep. He's the founder. He's deep. And then you got the advocates of Apollos. They, it says that he, of Apollos, he was spoke with fervor and, fervor and he was mighty in the scriptures. Remember that they said about Paul, he was not eloquent in his speaking. He was deep, but he wasn't eloquent. We don't like Paul. You know, I mean, I tell you what, Apollos man, he's a go-getter. Bless God. I like Apollos. He's fervent. I mean, you know, snot starts going to the third row when he preaches. <laughs> so there are advocates for Apollos. And there was a campaign for Cephas. Well, you know, Cephas, you know, he was with Jesus from the very beginning. One of the first disciples Jesus called. We're going to follow anybody. We're going to follow a guy that was there. Slept on the same rock, slept in the same boat. Got him across the Sea of Galilee. You know, if it had been for Cephas, said Jesus would have probably never made it. In fact, they're going to build a big Vatican to him one day in Rome. Not that he had anything to do with it. But there was a campaign for Cephas. And then there was a really deep group. They were committed to Christ. Oh, we don't need to listen to any human teacher. We just listen to Jesus. Now, let me give you three thoughts here. First of all, if you follow men, you'll be disappointed. I don't care who the man is. If you follow men, you're going to be disappointed. At some point, every leader is going to disappoint you or let you down. So it's good that you're a follower of Christ. Secondly, all flesh will fail you. All flesh will fail you. Your parents, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your brothers, your sisters, church leaders. I mean, we're all going to fail at some point. We're not perfect. We're flawed people saved by the grace of God. And thirdly, Christ will never disappoint you. 
Christ will never disappoint you. The power of the gospel is not in the messenger, it's in the message. It's in being true to the word of God. So, let's look at the last thing, the courageous leader's commitment to truth. Verse 17, 1 Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Is Christ divided? Sarcasm is literally, are you as a church going to cut Christ up into four parts? And say, well, this is a part of Christ that is like Paul. This is the part that's like Cephas. This is the part that's like Apollos. And then this is the part that's really Jesus. He's not divided. It's a perfect tense. It means he's not separated into partisan factions. That's what that word means. That Christ is not separated into partisan factions. Was Paul put to death for you? The implication of that is... I wasn't put to death for you, but neither were Apollos and Cephas. They were not put to death for you. Listen, folks, we live in a climate that encourages division and angst and anger. The one place people ought to have a refuge from that is in the church. Now, I'm just going to... I want to give you five things here in a minute, but I just want to step in for a minute and just just talk to you, okay? A lot of things have changed in Albany, Georgia in the 28 years I've lived here. We've gone from about 48% African-American to about 71% African-American. The community of Albany has declined in population, although the region has stayed about the same. Churches that were running 800 and 1,000 when I came here are now running 200. Churches that were running 500 when I came here are now running 12 and 14 and 15. But Albany is no less lost. It's still lost. And we could have 1,000 new people go to every church in this town next Sunday, and there'd still be 30,000 people in this community lost. We've lost industry, we've lost businesses, and the, the murmur of our community is what's wrong with Albany. We ought to be one place that says with one voice, God has placed us here to be a light whether anybody else wants to be a light or not. God has put us here to be that light. Everybody's got an opinion on everything. The squawk box has got an opinion. I'm convinced there are three people that write everything in the squawk box, and they're all, their last name is all coward. You don't sign your name to something, you're a coward. You don't have convictions. You know, I quit subscribing to the paper for that reason. I got tired of paying money so people had a place to be cowards. We got a lot of bad news. But I want to tell you, in the middle of that, that's when God works. That's when God works. Yeah, we're the fourth poorest city in America. We are the seventh worst city in America to live. I don't know who they surveyed to decide all that, because if they went to my hometown, my hometown didn't make the top 100, and I guarantee you it's in the top two. 
I don't know who they talk to when they make those kind of surveys, but I know this. Albany, Georgia is also the number one most generous city in the state of Georgia. Most generous in the fourth poorest. Now, there's something good here that we keep ignoring, and that is God has a remnant of people in this community, in every walk of life, in every area of industry, in every school, in every place. God's got people in this place to be salt and light and to make a difference. And so the devil tries to divide, and he tries to discourage, and he tries to get us at odds with one another. His latest effort is to get us polarized over the combining of Albany State and Darton. That's his latest effort. Depending on where you go to eat, you'll find an opinion on that. Folks, there's a line in Fireproof that we need to all learn. The new normal. That's the new normal. You can like it or not like it, but we either are going to say by our actions, by our deeds, by our thoughts, let every one of those college students go to hell. We don't care. Or we're going to say, what can we do as a church to minister life and to show the love of Jesus on those two campuses that are now one school? What are we going to do? Without saying a lot, there have been meetings that we've been a part of and some of our staff have been a part of trying to figure out how do we come alongside and help. Because listen, folks, if the church is not in the forefront, then the church doesn't need to be in existence. It shouldn't be waiting until everything's perfect. Oh, yeah, the church is here. I mean, there have been preachers in this town that have shown up in storm-covered neighborhoods with roofs off and houses destroyed in their three-piece suit, and all they're saying is, hey, let me pray for you. We've had crews out working constantly, trying to make a difference in our community. I mean, First John says you can't love God and hate your brother. They're lost. If you don't want to help somebody reach people with the gospel, something's wrong inside you, not them. So guess what? There are international students that are coming to Albany, Georgia. They don't come here with a car. They don't have a family they can go see on the weekend. You know what they need? They need somebody to pick them up at the airport and take them to school and help them get settled in. You know what they need? They need a family that would say, you come sit at our table for Thanksgiving. You come eat at our table on Sundays. You come be a part of our family. You want to know where missions begins? Missions begins at home. Don't send $100 to Lottie Moon to help somebody in Africa or India or Asia and not even bother to help somebody from Africa or India or Asia who's in our community. There are ways that we can do things, folks. Now, that's going to cause criticism. You're going to have to do what I tell the staff. You're going to have to have the hide of a rhinoceros and the heart of a lamb. 
You don't have to have a tough hide, but you better have a tender heart. Because one day, the membership of Sherwood Baptist Church is going to stand before a living God, and we're going to give an account to what we did in this community for the cause of Christ to reach the whosoever wills. That they're not just welcomed, but they're wanted. If you and I don't care about more about the gospel than we do how we were raised, shame on us. But if we care more about the gospel than how we were raised, I believe that God will just sit down on us and save lost people and bring people into this church family. You see, the move that we're making on August 20th to two services is not because we have to do it right now. It's because I do believe that God has a harvest of souls ahead for us. If we do what he tells us to do, and if we act like he tells us to act, and if we love like he tells us to love. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to be the courageous church that does the right thing the right way for the right reasons? Because there's no other reason to be here. We didn't build all these buildings just to be comfortable. We built these buildings to make room for people that have not yet driven on our parking lot or joined our church. We have block parties. Uh, I mean, we have reached guys, young guys and gals in our community we would have never reached if we hadn't blocked off a parking lot up here and put some basketball goals up. We reached people around the Coke plant we would have never reached if we hadn't gotten that facility. That's not just a facility for us to sit at the coffee shop with our friends that just look like us, like, you know, we got a 60,000 square foot Coke facility. What are you doing with it? I don't know. Using it to reach people for the gospel. That's what we're doing with it. So look at the notes at the end of your page. Mark, you guys come on up. Oh, I forgot to give you the five things. I'm going to give them to you real quick. Here's how we operate. Rule one, lordship. Lordship. We operate under the lordship of Christ. Rule two, God's glory. Is it going to bring glory to God? Rule three, the kingdom agenda. It's bigger than our agenda. It's bigger than Sherwood Baptist Church. It's about building the kingdom of God. Rule four, biblical context. And rule five, unity. Remember, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And it's about them. Ray Stedman, the quote is in your notes. How can we argue about our little doctrinal differences or the meaning of this or that symbol when we think of what our Lord went through to save us, his suffering in the deep shadows of Gethsemane, his loneliness in the abandonment of his disciples, his sweat like drops of blood, the traitor's kiss, the binding and mocking, the spitting and hitting, the bloody scourging and the crown of thorns, the weight of the cross as he carried it on his shoulders, the exhaustion and collapse, being stripped of his clothes and hammered, the hammering of the nails and the impaling of the feet and wrists and bones, the slow loss of blood, the struggle for every breath, the darkness, the moment when he was forsaken by God, the thirst, the final breath. 
if we're going to do what we need to do, if we're going to have the courage to do what we need to do, then we just got to keep our eyes on Jesus and remember what he did for us. Same blood it costs to save you. It's going to cost to save a 19-year-old college student or a 12-year-old middle school student or a 10-year-old child at Sherwood Elementary across the street. Some kid that doesn't have a dad. Some kid that's watching his family go through a divorce. Some kid that believes that there can't be a father that loves them. There can't be a God that loves them. They can't be, ever be good enough to be saved, and they can't. But God's already been good enough to save them if they just embrace the salvation through Jesus Christ. We have so many opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom in this place we call Sherwood. And if we don't, we'll miss some of the greatest days of our lives. And I tell you something, not just because we don't fight and fuss like we did when I first came here. I have more fun pastoring this church than I've ever had. I enjoy it more than I ever have. I finally got some people in here who know how to say amen when I preach. <laughs> and help me a little bit. <laughs> but you know, when I look at this church, what I long to see is something that looks so much like heaven that hell doesn't know what to do with us. That's what I long to see.